All right. In today's episode, we are diving into a story of extraordinary perseverance, endurance, and belief. Imagine setting off from the dusty trails of El Paso, Texas, with nothing but the open road ahead and the steely determination to reach Texarkana over 830 miles away to the east, going for the fastest known time. This isn't a tale of an elite runner surrounded by a mobile support team of nutritionalists, trainers, and medics looking after their every need. This is the story of Ethan Kimes, U.S. Army cadet and member of the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M University, who chose to embark on a solo, self-supported run across Texas, facing the unknown, the unpredictable, and the unimaginable, all on his own. Welcome again to the Choose to Endure podcast, the go-to show for back-of-the-pack ultra runners. Join us as we explore uplifting stories, interviews, gear, and training tips, all tailored towards the unsung heroes at the back end of the ultra universe. My name's Richard Gleave. I've been ultra running since 2017, finishing numerous ultra distances all the way up through 200 miles. I'm a qualified USCA running coach, and I'm unashamedly a founder member of the back of the pack, just like you. So with the vast expanse of Texas now firmly behind him, and a story that transcends every step of his remarkable journey, Ethan joins us to share his insights, struggles, moments of triumph, and anything else really that defined his trans-Texas run. From preparation to execution and the personal revelations in between, stick around as we're about to uncover what it really takes to endure such an epic solo adventure. Discover raw, inspiring stories from runners who've been right where you are. This is the Choose to Endure Ultra Running Podcast with your host, he's English, not Australian, Richard Gleave. Ethan, welcome to the Choose to Endure show. First of all, congrats. I believe actually today you were officially ratified as having the self-supported Trans-Texas FKT, correct? Yes, sir. Today's the day. Brilliant. Well, I know you have a disclaimer to get us kicked off, so maybe we'll get the disclaimer out of the way, and then we'll start from the beginning. Yes, sir. So, you know, like you said, I'm a U.S. Army cadet and a member of the Corps of Cadets. And I just, before we begin, I want to say thank you, of course, for allowing me on and to come talk with you and to your listeners. Um, but everything I say is my own opinion and uh, doesn't reflect Texas A&M, the Corps of Cadets, the Department of the Army, or the Department of Defense. But again, thank you so much for allowing me on, sir. Absolutely. Well, it's actually my honor to have you on here. I mean, that is such an incredible feat that you achieved and you got the FKT for it. And I want to get into the FKT thing at some point as well, because I was checking the website there and looking at all the posts that you put out there on the fastestknowntime.com website. And man, there is a ton of GPS data that you had to come up with to put out there. So I would love to get into how you kind of sorted that out <laughs> at some point too. But First of all, let's get started from the beginning, shall we? You've done this amazing journey, but what, what on earth put this idea in your head? And then how did you turn it into a reality? Like, what was the thinking here? How did this even come up as an idea? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, we go back to high school, right? And I was a, I was a interesting student. Um, 
and the sense of maybe I was getting into trouble, maybe I was not. And a mentor, or who now is a mentor of mine, Joseph Kelly, really grabbed me my freshman and sophomore years from going down a bad path. And he grabbed me and metaphorically, of course, did not actually grab me. But we start talking and, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Kelly is a marathon runner. And uh, he has run over, I want to say, 60 marathons now and mm-hmm. 25 plus states. He's trying to get the one in 50 states. And then eventually he and I are going to go do the uh, seven marathons in each continent in seven days. And um, oh yeah. well, so I'm a I'm a 17 year old student at the time. And, and he tells me, he goes, you know, I run these marathons and I go, sir, I run two miles. You know, I'm basically like you two miles, 26 miles. It's more or less the same thing. And I go, well, there has to be more than a marathon. And cause I was going to prove him wrong, right? Like I can do more than you. So there is a run over in Texas and it is a, uh, about a 70 miler. It is slipping my head right now. It's possum's revenge or possum's. Yeah. Possum's revenge. So I'm 17, maybe pushing 18 years old. And I sign up for the 70 miler. And again, I've done a two miler before and maybe a five miler, like a 5k or something. And so I get up to the 70 miler. I rent an Airbnb, the cheapest one that they had, which was an old crack house. And me and three other guys, we all sign up for the 70 miler. We get out there. We don't have a headlamp. We have like a, a water bottle, Richard, like a, a gas station water bottle. That's our, our water source. Wow. So we're out there and we're trying to run. I ended up only getting about 52 miles total. But, you know, towards the night, I was using a phone light from my iPhone to, to get light on the course. So that wasn't a good one. But, you know, I, I instantly fell in love with the sport, right? And then I get back and uh, I hear about these things called timed races. And I'm like, what do you mean it's a timed race? So, you know, you go out there for 72 hours and what do you do? You just run. So I go out to this one with uh, yeah. Chase and Casey Hand, uh, Hammond over at uh, uh, Kansas called the Sticks. And I did it the inaugural year and I'm 18 now. And actually they were putting it on when my high school graduation happened. So I skipped my high school graduation to go run in the sticks. And, uh, so I I get there and at the time I'm taking 18 hours of community college online because we were still in that weird COVID phase. So I was running during the day at night. I'd do a little bit of homework, sleep for three or four and then go run again. And I didn't know that you were supposed to change your socks over three days. So at the end of it, Chase and and uh, their parents and, and Casey's parents, they go, hey, you have like three pairs of socks on and I have like three OD green army knee high socks that I was wearing, like all three of them layered on top of each other. And uh, they take them off. And I, I know, and I just had these gnarly blisters, Richard. Oh my goodness. And again, yeah. I fell in love, you know, I drove back to Texas Ooh. and I like told my mom, I found my people, you know, they let me wake up, eat, burn a little bit of calories and then go to bed. Right. So, <laughs> and then from there, you know, we met each other over at Cowboy, which I, well, we can talk about later, but it's just been a, you know, every single person I've met, it's been awesome. And compared to the 5K world, I know we talk about we go run 5K ultras, but compared to the, the 5K uh, racing world, I love the ultra world, uh, Richard. 
you know, you and I, we've only met once in person and I would consider you a good friend, a best friend. Yeah. And I, I really respect you and what you're doing. And that just shows you, you know, you go out there and you're vulnerable for 10 or 12 hours. And it's just the bond that you get, the shared trauma. It's insane. And I really enjoy it. It is. I really think it's that it's that trauma that bonds people together. It's why the trail group is so close. And the further you go, the less it's about speed and the more it's just about each person on their journey trying to get trying to get to wherever they need to be. And I, I love the fact that everybody is so invested in each other, just trying to trying to be the best person you can be, trying to get to the finish. And I don't know, uh, you know, you talked about Chase and, and Casey and, and Cowboy, and that was a really good indicator of the trail community, right? Especially with your finish up there. So, I mean, gosh, if that doesn't, if that doesn't endear you to a community, I don't, I don't know what does. I mean, that that's uh, they're excellent people, and and chasing Casey in particular, Ultraverse, great uh, great race company. So you've done the sticks, you've done Possum Revenge. How did you come up with the idea for okay, I'm going to go across Texas now? And then how did you how did you once you had that? How did you prepare yourself mentally and physically to to take that challenge on? You know, I, I looked into those FKTs and the fastest known time, if anyone's not listening, it's a group of, it's an online dictionary of times, like fastest known time. So you go from A to B, or maybe you go back to A and you're able to publish all your data. And then that way, Richard or I can come in and go, I can run that faster, or I think that's really cool. So I go online and I learn about like the PCT and the Arizona Trail. And I was going to go run across Arizona. And I watched the documentary with uh, a runner named String Bean. And he did it in less than, I want to say, nine days. And I'm like, I'm going to go run the, the AZT oh, yeah. in seven days. I'm going to beat him. Arizona Trail is like 850 miles. And for anyone listening, you go down to the Grand Canyon and then up the Grand Canyon, plus the rest of Arizona. So there's, you know, that's my 19-year-old Ethan at the time who thought he could just run across Arizona in seven days by himself. And then, you know, we start getting more realistic. And I heard this trans-Texas and, you know, I, I read Don's report. Don is the very first uh, person to do the FKT. Mm. And then another man by the name of Kenneth also did the uh, FKT. And he had a really good documentary online. And I reached out to both of them and I just said, hey, like, what? you know, what is this about? Like, where's the trail? And they told me, no, like it's, it's, it's road, Ethan. And I go, what do you mean it's road? Like, it, so they ran across road from El Paso to Texarkana. And that was really cool. And I was thinking I was going to do the uh, North to South route, which one man I blanking on his name. So I apologize. And I hope I for, remember in a little bit, but he ran North Texas down to the bottom, which is a little longer. I want to say two to 300 miles more. I I think it's in like the 1100 mile category. Again, roads and, and stuff like that. So to answer your question, you know, now I found this Trans-Texas run and I, I said, you know, I'm going to run it over winter break because I'm a college student. I'm an army student uh, or army cadet and we have training over the summer. So I didn't want to go run across Texas and then damage myself potentially and not be able to do the training or not be able to do it at all. Cause sometimes these training events take 30, 40, 70 days, um, combined. So winter break was decided. This right. is, you know, early November time. 
And I started thinking to myself, well, am I going to do it crude or am I going to do it, you know, self-supported, unsupported? And I actually wanted to do it like Art Brody, who just set the unsupported Arizona trail record. Uh, he knew person, or first person to ever do it over there. And I was going to do it unsupported, but the first 175 miles, there's no water that you could get. You have to carry your all your water for 175 miles, which saying that out loud, when you and I, Richard ran, oh you know, the cowboy together to basically yeah. think, you know, like you're going a whole cowboy um, without water uh, is insane. The whole of cowboy. With right. No water. So that's yeah. at least yeah. legally, you know, you read the FKT rules. It has to be from streams. Um, if we're looking at the uh, self or the unsupported and, my mom and I, my dad, you know, we spent almost a month just like scoping it out. And then if you go on my Instagram, uh, a good friend of mine, Jada Hamilton, who's also an endurance athlete here at Texas A&M and also is in the core, a great triathlete or great triathlete. And um, we went over to Guadalupe Mountain to kind of scope out the first 50 to about 170 miles. So from mile 50 to about 175 Jada and I looked pretty much at every single mile and there just wasn't any viable spots, Richard, that, you know, I could get water. So, uh, yeah. we knew then that I w- was going to be about 150 to 175 miles without ever getting water. I decided to carry about eight liters, pushing 10 liters of water, which for anyone who's listening, 10 liters of water is, Ooh, is a heavy. lot of weight. And that's just water, you know, my ruck, um, and a ruck is a, a giant backpack that is issued through the, the military. And this, this ruck that I had was 90 pounds dry, meaning all the, the gear, the food, I had a bunch of MREs, meals ready to eat, all of that stuff weighed 90 pounds dry. And then I had an additional about 30 to 40 pounds in water weight. So we were walking out the door on day one with about 125 is what we guesstimated. Holy crap. I didn't have a scale with me. I didn't want to carry that weight. So, but at the end of the race, if anyone's curious, I had a, the, the ruck went down to about 55 uh, mom brought a scale at the end. And the number one thing I did, it, you know, you watch the video that I upload on Instagram today and I'm, I'm running in and then I sat down, we take some photos and I go, mom, where's the scale? And I'm hungry as hell. You know, I, I want a glass of water, but I wanted to see how much uh, this ruck weighed. Right. And we went down to 50 pounds from the starting of the race to the end. But I want to note to everyone the last two weeks I had to carry a giant jackets. So the actual weight was probably about 40 pounds. So over the course of uh, 34 and a half days, you know, we consumed about 55 to 60 pounds dry of stuff. Good grief. That is insane. Monster amount of weight that you, you're kicking off with you know, 175 miles with no access to water. That is a wild, wild start to your uh to your event there and so had you been to like did you do gym work prior to that like how did you physically yeah get yourself ready to go do that had you been kind of running some prior to and you just kind of did extra strength work what how do you try how do you train for an 830 mile yeah so 
you know what's what's great about Texas A and M, and what's great about the Corps of Cadets, and what's great about the Army ROTC program, and what's great also about now the ultra running team. And I spaced them out for a certain reason because, you know, I'm I'm on all four of those organizations, right? I go to A and M. I'm part of the Corps of Cadets. I'm an Army cadet, and then I'm also in the ultra running team. Well, each one of those brings value to a student like me who wants to do these endurance base. And I'll just begin with training wise. Well, the core of cadets, you know, we're known for doing crazy, crazy things in the sense of we push ourselves and my outfit, my company, uh, company I want is, is who I fall under. That's what we do. You know, for pretty much every single running event, we're rucking it with about 40 pounds dry and the Army ROTC department, they're teaching us how to properly ruck with speed to where you have 40 or 50 pounds, but you're running it at an eight-minute mile, at a nine-minute mile, which, you know, is insane to think about running with a, a 40, 50-pound ruck. But they're, you know, they're teaching us, yeah. like, the proper ways because it can be dangerous, of course, and I don't recommend anyone listening just strap some bricks or bags of sand and go out for a five-miler with at an eight-minute pace. So, you know, make sure you get proper training. Yeah. And then now with the ultra running team, our advisor, Dr. Lisa Cooper Coleman is phenomenal. She, I don't even know how to begin in words. I hope everyone Googles her. She's an amazing triathlete. She's an amazing endurance coach. She is a coach as well. And I couldn't ask for anyone better for our team. And so I, you know, using all these four resources, right? Because also the last one, Texas A&M, we're the largest university in the nation. We have 72, 73,000 students, and that does not include faculty. It's very easy to find students. It's very easy to find faculty who, like you said, Richard, um, who want to help you train right? For these crazy events. Like how do you even begin? You begin by, by reaching out. Oh, yeah. So, you know, in the morning, typically, if you were to like, look at a day in the life of me, we have core PT and we have our physical training and we have army PT that begins about five forty-five, six 6 AM, most, most days six. And I believe in getting extra PT in because, you know, I go to classes, right? So uh, answering your question, for me, my day begins around zero uh, three, and then I wake up and I normally like to do rucking. I, I'm a slow runner, as you know. You probably could tell that at Cowboy, you know, I'm not a, a six-minute <laughs> mile split for 100 miles coming in and under 10 hours or something for the 100 miler. Not yet, at least, you know, maybe give me 10, 20 more years, but... Um, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. So we'll, we'll see if we get there. Right. So waking up and, uh, I normally do my own PT, um, through, I gotta be careful how I phrase it, but I do my own PT, you know, no one's no organization is holding me against it. And also the ultra running team does not conduct physical training that early. Right. So Ethan's going out on his own and doing it. And then at right. six after that, so I normally will try to do maybe eight mile ruck or um, even an eight mile walk because as you know, just getting miles on your feet to get blisters is, is good. So then we'll go conduct army PT and then that lasts about 8 PM. And then on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I don't have any classes for the most part. Uh, I have a lab on Wednesday towards the end. So Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I normally try to go to the rec. We have three actually four wrecks here on campus 
and either I'm biking or we have an Olympic pool for all of our students. So I'm able to hop in the pool for a few hours and I really want to work on completing an Ironman before we leave or I leave college in about a year. So I'm trying to do incorporate swimming now, but I mean, just answering your question, I think it's just putting miles on your feet, you know, I'm sorry, that's a long answer, but yeah, well, I think, I think your situation kind of lends itself perfectly to doing some, something big like that, where, you know, the likes of myself and other listeners, where we've got a family and, you know, you, you don't necessarily have that structure around you to enable you to do that. But, but you guys and yourself in particular, it looks like you're in the perfect spot to do to do that with all your required rucking and ability to tap into other students and coaches and all the resources you've got. So that's that's really cool. I love that. So you've set up, you've decided you're going to do this. I, and, and I'm sure you can tell from the reaction on all the social media stuff, I mean, we're just really excited to hear your story. Like, off you go, day one. How did this thing unfold for you? And was there ever a moment in there, particularly on day one, where you were like, yeah, I'm not sure with your with your hundred and whatever pound pack, you're like, I'm, did I do the right thing here or what? Uh, how did the story unfold? Richard, it gets awesome. So we start off, right? And you can watch that video where a good friend of mine, Hunter, uh, he kicks me off and he goes, uh, hey, good luck. And he's, you know, recording me at the beginning and I, I start running. Well, about 10 miles in, I noticed that ruck is starting to break, that the stitching is coming out because the pack is so heavy. Again, we were at like 125 pounds. So you asked the question of when did you think like you might not finish? It was honestly day one, the first 1% of the race. Um, so <laughs> knowing, you know, you know wow. me and how crazy I am, I, uh, I, I'm thinking, well, hey, how am I going to finish this? And, you know, again, cadre here at A&M and the Corps and the Army Department, they're always telling us, think of different ways that you can lead if hard things happen, you know, the, the show has to go on. So I say, you know what, I guess I can get a shopping yeah. cart. The, so I, I buy, a, I go to some meat market and I go, hey, I'm trying to go across Texas. I just started. I'm not that prepared, apparently. Can I buy a, a shopping cart from you? And I spent about $50, I think, on an old, rusty 1980s. Get away. This is like, this is like Kmart style, old, big metal. The, the shopping cart itself was probably 20 pounds, 30 pounds. So I take off my ruck and I, I'm just pushing my shopping cart along the Texas road. This is about mile 10, mile 15. And then my, you know, so I end day one at about 30 miles. Um, and that's where I'm laying down at this, uh, volunteer firefighter station. Epic stuff. Yeah. And I'm laying down at this volunteer firefighter uh, station thinking to myself, wow, like, what am I doing, Richard? Maybe this isn't a yeah. good idea, yeah. man. Um, and then again, you know, so I wake up the next day and I structured it to where day one and day two would be about less than 35 miles because day three was a 60 miler. It was from an old ghost town. Uh, you can look on the GPX data or you could really just like go on Google Maps. There's nothing around. So this old ghost town that I thought mm -hmm. there would be a burger stand there. There wasn't. It was closed that day. So day two is ending and we're about mile 70 now and day three hits day three movement is a 60 miler um and i gotta get from the ghost town up to guadalupe 
uh, park. So that's a 60 mile movement. And again, that was pretty tough just because, you know, the first two days were like 30 milers, but I was preparing for that. And also there was a really nice gentleman named Mr. Tony. If you look at my Facebook and Instagram, you see a photo of us with his company, KM Tires, I think. Um, and he gave me a bunch of water and sweet tea, orange juice. And then even the last day gave me McDonald's breakfast. So that was awesome. So oh. I, yeah, uh, that helped. So you're allowed to take food from what I would call road angels, you know, people you meet along the way, you're allowed to do that with your self-support to just not have anybody designated to come and Correct. bring you assistance. Yeah. So from what I understand, the FKT rules are, uh, Richard, you cannot come give me stuff because you know me, but if it's, uh, trail angels, road angels, et cetera, because you gotta understand 99, I'm assuming percent of the FKTs are on trails. The Trans-Texas one is the anomaly that it's on road. So it's a little different in that sense. But yeah, so Tony, Mr. Tony gave me some nice snacks. And that third day, I was moving pretty slow. I mean, it was a 60 miler and I woke up late. And I'm moving slow in the sense of I have a shopping cart that's 140 pounds. And I'm also pushing it up the tallest mountain in Texas, right? So... I, oh my gosh. I get into the, the parking lot. And what's funny is Jada and I went to that parking lot and we hiked up the peak. Um, and I parked my shopping cart and slept in the same spot that we parked a month or two before. And I texted her and said, hey, not in my truck this time, but I'm still sleeping here. So I woke up the next day because now we're at about mile 110, 120-ish. Um and the fourth day movement is about a 50 miler. And that's to the town of Orla. I might be right. pronouncing that wrong. It's O-R-L-A, if anyone's curious. All that is in that town is like uh, man camps and for like oil workers. There's no hotels. And I reached out and tried to explain the situation and asked for a hotel. And uh, that wasn't an option for a day. I believe the minimum was like a one week to two week commitment. So... I left Guadalupe right. Peak a little late because I got in really late. I didn't get in until about 2.30, 3 a.m. And I, I get to the town of Orla the next day, 24 hours later. And that's only 50, 50 miles. So that just shows you I'm averaging like a 25-minute mile. I took a bunch of trail naps. I hate the night, Richard. Uh, you know, I, I hate going through the night by myself. And... Uh, I think a lot of ultra runners, we it's, get that tough, 2 yeah. to 4 a.m. Yeah, that 2 to 4 a.m. Like uh, ultra running brain is what I call it, when you start talking to yourself and you start looking out and you see like the cow eyes and you're like, is that a cow? Is that a demon? Like, what is that? So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, that that really slowed me down. Yeah. That, that really slowed me down. But, you know, Richard, um, I got into the town of Aurora around 7, 8 a.m. And there was a gas station there that had, like, convenience food. And they even had scrambled eggs, biscuits, and bacon. Ooh. And I show up like I just crash landed from Mars. And I go, just give me whatever you want. And I had this giant plate of nastiness, just biscuits and gravy and uh, bacon and stuff because you know it's I'm 175 miles in at that give or take right um, 160 170 I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head and I'm just chowing down on this food and then about I sat there for about an hour and a half I charged my phones got everything as 
juiced up I can as I could. And then I moved to the town of Pecos, which was about 40 miles away. And I got that. I got there around one or two in the morning. And then I stayed at Pecos for about a two days. I took a day off because my pinky toes were starting to turn blue and I wanted to make sure everything was okay with them. Everything's fine with my pinky toes for everyone listening. Nothing's wrong. So I get back on the road and the movements after that were, were all 40 milers as planned. But after Pecos, actually a severe thunderstorm happened getting into Odessa Midland area. It, it was so bad that like I had along the route, I had cadets, family members that if anything happened, I would call you and be like, Hey, uh, Richard, I need you to come pick me up, sir. You know, like the, the race is over code red. You would get out card. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Right. And, um, well, one of them, his name is Colt Dinger, reached out and said, Hey, there's a severe hailstorm coming in and you're about to get hit. Are you okay? And I'm like, Oh, I'm fine, man. Don't worry about me. But my grandma calls me and, you know, my grandmother calls and says, Hey, cause I had everyone tracking my location for safety reasons. Um, my grandma calls me and goes, Hey, uh, there's a severe thunderstorm and potential hail. And there was a tornado warning. She goes, are you near a gas station? And they go, Grandma, don't worry about me. You know, I'm a, I'm a grown boy. I'm a 19 year old man. I'm good. And yeah. I, you know, I look back, Richard, and and there's no thunderstorm. Well, I sit down and I found a dog. I forgot to say that this day I found this beautiful dog. And there's a photo of it. it's like a white lab, I believe, or white type of dog. Um, and this dog and I are sitting together mm. eating uh, MRE chicken meals. And um, I look back and I go that's a very dark thundercloud. And then all of a sudden it starts raining. Well, I'm pushing again, this shopping cart on the frontage road of I 20, which is not that good. Um, it's not meant for everyone listening. I don't recommend you buy a shopping cart and go push it on the frontage road of I 20. The engineers did not design it for us. So I pack up my ruck and I, I put it together and this dog and I start basically booking it to the nearest gas station, which is like four miles away. And I run into this gas station and the dog runs to like this garbage can and we parted ways then. And I stayed at that gas station overnight, which is good because it got pretty dark pretty quick. And then the second I walked into the gas station, Richard, it turned from dark to pitch dark. And this was the middle of the day. And then the gas station was shaking. It was that bad. So after that, you know, I picked up, moved the rest of the miles. And then again, I took a few rest days here and there just to like recoup on calories and then uh, rehydrate because I was pretty much drinking Gatorade and Gator Light. I don't like Pedialyte. I don't like Electrolyte. There's a lactose in it and milk kind of hurts my stomach. All right. I'm, I think I'm lactose intolerant. I'm not entirely sure. I've never been diagnosed by a doctor. So the Electrolyte stuff is not like chasing Casey's Proxima C. It's not like Tailwind or anything. <laughs> so no. my Electrolytes were not that good. Um, and coconut water was not cutting it. So, you know, you're taking breaks every day, kind of like trying to get your body recovered a little bit. But yeah, averaging about 40 to 50 miles a day towards the end of the race when I was over in like the Dallas-Fort Worth area, my averages went down to about 20 or 30 a day. Because you got to understand, after Pecos, mid-Pecos, Odessa area, I'm now rucking again. So about 500 miles 
was rock. And the first 200 and uh, the first 200 ish were, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It was all shopping cart. So wow. uh, that's give or take, right? I don't entirely know the exact miles off the top of my head right now. I apologize, but yeah, we got to Dallas and um, yeah, I was just going to say like I having pushed a shopping cart around a Kroger or wherever, I can't believe you pushed a shopping cart 200 miles down the road with that thing potentially going all over the damn place. Yeah, it was an arm workout for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, towards the end of the race, like I said, 15, 20 mile days and then, but I was running, you know, two to three miles every night. That was my goal. I, something about just like a mental two to three miles, you're going to run it either at like a nine to 10 minute pace. And then the final day, if you look at my Coros data, that last like mile, I think I ran it at like a 630 minute pace because I was just ready to be done, Richard. And, and, uh, but it was fun. So it was, it was a good journey. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely think I, I could have done more. That is pretty incredible. And were people, were you getting messages? Yeah. Um, in the sense of like, like text messages, what do you mean, sir? Yeah. Just like, were you, were folks back at A&M, were they, were they messaging you? Were they connected to what you were doing? I know you were updating on, on, you know, the socials and whatnot here and there as you probably, as you had opportunity, but were you aware of stuff going on around or were you just focused? And, and I wanted to ask too, how much running did you actually do in, in among that? Cause I can't, I can't think you're doing a whole lot of running with 125 pounds or pushing a cart. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned this in like the first news article, I think uh, there's about 23, 2400 cadets, I believe here in the core of cadets and every single one I think was supported of this, you know, we're, we're on big family and I, they all had my back and, Every day, I was probably getting a hundred text messages from different cadets saying, "You got this, Ethan. You know, keep going." Or, you know, in the core, everyone calls me Kimes, so uh, they were just saying, "You got this, Kimes," and all that. And it was awesome to hear that. And then, again, it, it's just it's one big family. I knew a little bit of what was going on, but luckily it was over winter break, so we kind of take a pause, an operational pause. And then towards the end of the race, like I mentioned before the podcast, there was a winter storm that happened and I, I had to take a break from that. So I had to email my professors almost going back to the sticks, you know, doing homework during a race, which I think is just a, a great thing. You know, like you go out there to relax and get self clarity and somehow homework always finds its way in Richard, which I think is funny. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. But then answering your question about the running, like I said, I think every night I'd go for about two or three miles of running was my goal, just either with the shopping cart. And what was awesome was in the Guadalupe mountain area, there's a lot of downhill. So I would kind of ride the shopping cart like a, a sled and just jam out at like 10 miles per hour, which is not that fast. But for me, you know, it's a six minute mile. And I'm like, man, I'm going at a six minute mile right now, riding this shopping cart. Yeah. Yeah. Rocket down it downhill. And I know I did a race with seven other nut job people a while back along the back roads of Texas. It wasn't quite 800 miles, but it was nearly 200 miles. And I will tell you, and I wanted to, I wanted to get your take on this too. There are some sections of road that we were doing, especially at, at night, where the, the side of the road wasn't particularly wide. 
And really, like, did you have any close shaves with large moving trucks or, uh, you know, did you have, like, I'm sure you must have had some hair raising moments out on I-20 or back roads. If back roads were worse, I think, when we were doing it, there's just no shoulder. Yeah. So for the most part, you know, I was on the frontage roads. There were a few times where I was on uh, back roads, like you said, but I would say every day there was probably about 25 to 50 close encounters uh, with vehicles. You know, at night, I think it got a lot worse. I had a headlamp on that was pretty bright. And then I had another headlamp around my neck. I I like, so we do this here at A&M and the Corps and in the Army. You know, we wear our headlamps around our neck. That way, if you're going through trees, the headlamp doesn't fall off, right? And um, so if you're ever doing any ultras, that's my recommendation is put it around your neck. But so there, I had lights on at night, you know, people could see me. And during the day, I'll say mm-hmm. this, right? The people who caused issues were the car drivers. The big rigs, they moved over. And if it was a really big rig, I would hop into the grass for a little bit and kind of just not play the chicken game. Yeah. And all the big rigs were nice to me. It was the car drivers, you know, I'd say majority of the times, the close encounters, they were on their phones, Richard. And I think it's really sad that a lot of people do text and drive. And especially Mm -hmm. out there, I get it. You probably don't think anyone's crazy to run across Texas or run across America, but there's people like you and I who are doing weird, weird, crazy things. Yeah, that was uh, that was the experience, you know, just chatting with the other seven folks that were doing the, the race, the tour, tour de Tejas that we did a couple of years back. That was a pretty similar experience. It was always the people who were on their phones that were the biggest challenge. It wasn't necessarily the truck drivers, necess- you know, but I mean, they're big and a little scary. But, uh, but yeah, it's the, it's the phone people, especially at night when when they're not expecting you to be on some back road or somebody around a blind bend or over a over a blind hill and then the rumble strips were something that will live me live with me long the noise of the rumble strip you know those little the notch stuff on the side of the road or in the middle of the road where it kind of the it's like a bee the bee, yeah yes bee. sir yes sir and i'm just like man that stuff is in my head that dang rumble strip the whole time uh, so i can't imagine yeah. doing 800 miles of it we had enough with 200 miles you know, so this is what, for anyone who's listening, Richard, who's done like a hundred mile or 200 mile, or there's that point at night and even during the day where I think everyone like zones out, you're able to just one foot in front of the other. And especially like at Cowboy, it's pretty hard to get lost there. Yeah. Um, if you get lost, I mean, damn, like Good job. we got to talk yeah. about maybe ultra running's not the sport yeah. for you. So, you know, you and I, Richard, were probably able to to just run together and zone out. Well, when you did your uh, tour de Tejas and I did this, it's hard to zone out because you worry about, is a car going to hit me? Yeah. So I think there was a lot more mental engagement and mental stimulus because of that. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So were there, like, how did you manage the psychological aspects of just running by yourself for, for such a long distance and a long time? Were there particular techniques that you were using to sort of keep yourself dialed in? How did you kind of keep your mental game strong? So, you know, I, I really like the podcast 
aspect and approach. I tried not to listen to music for a while. I was trying to to get my inner David Goggins out yeah. and no music, stay hard. But uh, that eventually, that, that you know, it failed because I told my dad this. I think at like around day twenty, I go, Dad, this might sound privileged because I'm a in a first world nation, but. I don't want to listen to podcasts anymore and I don't want to listen to music, music and podcasts. I don't like them anymore. And (laughs) you know, I I am fortunate enough to say that, right. I, I want everyone to be clear or I want everyone to understand that. I think it's awesome to say that I don't want to listen to podcasts because yeah, I mean the first few days I was listening to podcasts and you learn a lot. You take a lot of notes. I would listen to a three, four hour Jocko podcast and then take an hour break and do a voice memo, talk to myself. And uh, I have these, you know, voice memos that are for me and maybe a book soon in the near future that are going to be able to, I'm able to look back, think about leadership uh, techniques, and then keep moving forward um, in that sense. But, you know, I really like, I told my dad this because we'd call almost every night and my dad would say, well, Ethan, you don't seem happy. And at night, you know, especially when you're by yourself, you get to those low points and I do enjoy them. I enjoy the self-hate. I enjoy the the dark moments because the next day you get to reflect and it's a, uh, wow, I did this. I accomplished that. And you get to keep moving forward, uh, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, just knowing, I remember getting to about mile 680 and they had a map of Texas and I sat there, Richard, for an hour. I probably shouldn't have sat there, but I just kept looking at where I was and where I came from. And it was insane to me to say, wow, I've, I've gone 700 miles, right? You know, you look at your Google maps and it's like, all right, well, I moved from that city to this city, you know, 30 miles isn't that much, which is insane to say that you and I think that 30 miles is not that much, but, and then you sit back and you look and you go, wow, like I'm in, I'm in Greenville. I'm in Texarkana. And um, it was just insane, Richard, to have like those, those mental, like mental explosions of I'm in Dallas, Texas right now. That's insane. I'm in Abilene, Texas right now. And it was just those, those moments. I broke it down on my, uh, my, my, uh, what is it called? I had a Google doc and I had all my movements and then I had like a major movement get to Pecos, get to Big Springs, get to Abilene, get to Dallas, get to Greenville, get to Texarkana, and then with everything in between. So it was nice when I could cross off, I made it to Abilene. It was like a reward giving it to myself because I think there's no way. And you know what? I take this back. I would love to start a race Forrest Gump style, where you and I, Richard, we just put a hundred bucks on a credit card and a hundred bucks in cash, and we just start running, not knowing when we're going to end. Because I think that is the biggest mental hurdle you could ever have, if that makes sense. Well, I think we've just found your next challenge. So uh, if any uh, if any other A and M cadets out there are listening and they want to challenge Ethan <laughs> to a hundred dollar run as far as you can race, or we may just have a we may just have your next event there. Uh, Ethan, I don't know. But, I mean, you talked about logistics, and I think yeah. you know, I don't know that you can do this necessarily as well as you did without a whole bunch of planning up front. 
you talked about having you know completing each milestone and and the small wins kind of building up over time chopping it up into pieces right and not looking at the 700 miles that you like I've okay I've still got another 130 miles to go you know the the small victories but as you had planned everything out were there any aspects of that planning that turned out to be way more challenging than than you initially anticipated when you were sitting at the kitchen table putting it all together once you got out there I think it was the first five days, Richard. I knew, and I told my mom this, mom, you know, day three, day four, and day five. And really, I don't like to say day because those would go into the next day. So I think the word movement is better. Day, So movement three, movement four, and movement five. There was not going to be a lot of water. There was not going to be a lot of sleep. And those combined movements are 150 miles, which Yes, I've done a 200 miler before, but as you remember, Chase and Casey were giving us burritos, burgers, and chili pretty much every marathon yeah. where I had chili, but it was chili mac out of an MRE, which is a little different, yeah. uh, you know, especially calorie wise. So just trying to plan for calories and everyone talks about, you know, towards those end of the races, you don't want to eat mile 600 after. I wasn't hungry at all, but I was probably burning six or 7,000 calories a day, maybe. I really don't know. My watch would say 4,000, um, especially if I was moving uh, 40 miles in that day. And I know you have to add a little bit more per mile when you're rucking. And then, yeah. so the rucking calorie plus my daily uh, staying alive calories, I knew I was not eating enough. Everyone listening, I started at 205 pounds. I ended at 185. Now, there's a big caveat to that I want to add. I had a five-day break where I ate a pizza every day during that winter <laughs> storm. And I was 180 before the uh, before the winter storm. So I really question, you know, if the winter storm never happened, how much more weight would I have lost? And again, this was all like muscle weight, right? Because I remember looking in the, you know, I'm not that big of a, a lifter and I don't have that big of a chest, but I remember looking into the mirror one night and I called my mom and I go, mom, I got, I I, I have my, my man pecs are gone. I'm crying. I'm like, mom, I'm never going to recover. Like I can't even do a push up at this point. And, uh, so I clearly, you know, I did not go into to rhabdo, which is good. Right. I never peed your uh, alright. Excuse me. I never had any blood out of my urine. Um, I did take ibuprofen uh, for a few times, and that was a no go. the uh, The bowel movements scared me a bit, but I got off the ibuprofen, and then that that stuff went away. So, if anyone's listening, don't take ibuprofen on an eight hundred mile ruck run. Wow. Was there ever a point where you were self-aware that you were losing weight pretty rapidly or losing muscle and you were thinking, I don't, I'm not sure if, if I should, if I'm not going to find something to eat soon or a whole bunch of stuff, I don't know that I should continue. Did the pizza break save you really uh, potentially moving forwards? Like, was there ever a point where you're like, I'm not sure if I should be doing this genuinely? You know, Richard, I think I would say yes. 250 miles in, I, it, it felt like someone, it felt like one of the 18 wheelers hit me. I remember talking to my dad and I go, dad, you know, I'm struggling 
to get a 15 minute mile. And I was rucking at that point. So rucking a 15 minute mile with the amount of weight I had on is fairly good. It would be an exercise, I think, for most mm. at 90, 80 pounds. And I, I'm, tr- I'm struggling to keep a 15 minute mile. And it's just, I kept reminding myself, you know, like Ethan, you're burning seven to 8,000 calories. You're not getting enough electrolytes, but it was just trying to get as much food in as possible uh, to continue the race. And then, you know, I'm a, I believe in the philosophy of if you feel tired, take a day off, you know, like this is um, your race. And it was my FKT. No one's done it before. So 33 days versus 34 and a half days, I was still able to get the record as long as I finished. And I figured I would hate to be a hundred miles away and then burn out. So if, if you need a day break and the day break was one large Hawaiian pizza with extra, extra bacon, then so be it. And that's what we had to do. Yeah. Fantastic. Thinking on your total journey, if you could go back uh, to the beginning and talk to yourself before you set off, would there be any kind of advice now, knowing now what you, what you learned across 800 miles about doing the run and yourself? Would there be any advice that you would change or that you would give to yourself before you set off? Yeah, I, I think there is, Richard. Um, you know, in this case, it would be get less sleep, which I think you're probably not wanting to hear but if that's just for anyone that was trying to do this race overall i think another thing would don't be afraid to sleep in the uh the woods there were times where certain situations i didn't feel safe i wanted to sleep in a hotel that night and maybe i should have slept outside which is okay to do if it was safe enough But then mentally speaking, I think I'd go back and tell myself, it's not that far. I mean, yes, 800 miles is far, but it's also, I I really hate when people do it, but I guess I'm starting to do it now when we rationalize big numbers, big long mile numbers. But, Mm. you know, now that I've completed an 800 miler, if we want to talk of it like that, I think just telling yourself like, hey, man. It's just an 800 miler. Soon you're going to run across North America. So 800 miles is not that much. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. And and you touched on now you didn't feel safe outside. Was that from uh, when you when you were trying to sleep there? Was that sort of animal wildlife kind of, not fear, but just you were wary of, I don't know, coyotes or whatever is, is out there. Did you have much interaction with wildlife aside from the dog that followed you to the pizza shop? Yeah, the number one thing that I would say along the trip, Richard, that animal-wise were owners' dogs, um, especially out in those small Texas towns. They don't do leashes around a tree. The dogs get to roam free. So that was an issue. But, you know, there was a time when I got to, I was probably 40 miles away from the finish. So I was 10 miles away from where I wanted to sleep. And I was going to sleep in a post office the last night. Yeah. And I'm on the side of the road taking a, a leak. And all of a sudden, I hear a coyote. And I go, oh, that's cute. Just one little coyote. No big deal. And then instantly, like a whole pack of coyotes came Ooh. out of nowhere. And I called my mom. 
it's just I wanted someone on my phone to talk. I have the sticks, you know, screaming, go away, coyotes, just trying to make noise. And my mom goes, man, those coyotes sound very close. You should get away. And again, like I'm 40 miles away from an 831 mile finish. So two things are going in my mind right now. There's no way in hell, Richard, I'm going to outrun coyotes with these legs, right? You know, a 10 minute mile felt like a, I was doing a four minute mile. And then I also thought to myself, man, this would be a really bad way to die. Can you just imagine like Richard on the podcast? Hey everyone, I'm sorry to say, you know, Ethan didn't finish his FKT. He was 30 miles away, but those coyotes got to him and um that would just really have sucked yeah but uh but beyond that richard you know yeah Uh, but beyond that richard there was no animal encounters it was mainly people encounters Mm. um i didn't carry a gun with me all i had was a knife and maybe i should have had pepper spray or like a bear spray but you know my my rationale is if five guys come on me I'm not John Wick. There's no way I'm taking them all out. And especially not 400 miles into a race where I've lost 15 pounds. I haven't had any good electrolyte mix or not enough electrolytes, as I should say. And I haven't had enough food. I mean, I would go to Dairy Queen and eat a, the triple buster, which is three, one quarter pound burgers, like stacked together. And I was still hungry. So that just shows you like there was no way that I was going to fight someone in that situation and, and win at least. So there would just be nights where I'd go to a hotel because it felt yeah. safe. Well, I hear that too. And that's kind of what um, many of us doing the tour did as well. And I, I ask about the, the wildlife because dogs are, are specifically what happened to to us. And me, I was kind of at the front of the pack for uh, on day one. But yeah, same exact thing. They, it was really loud. Dogs everywhere on the first day. And most of them were fine and harmless because they were behind fences. But there was one kind of little farm on, on a road and they had their gate open. Three Dobermans charging out of the gate. And I, I think I wrote in my race review that I that was the fastest mile I ran in, in that whole 200 race was on day one at about, I don't know, 30, 35 miles. And I booked it. Those, those things were like yelling at me, nipping at me. I've never been uh, as scared. And I, we had a text group going on at the time. So all the participants had a text group just for safety. And so I was texting the rest of the crew like, holy crap, watch out when you get to this one because there's three Dobermans loose on the on the thing. And they were charging everyone when they came out. So I know that was a challenge. So I just wondered if you'd kind of come across the same thing and it sounds like it's pretty similar, actually. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So for uh, so for other back-of-the-pack runners out there who might be inspired by your journey, would you have any advice to give to give those folks about prepping and kind of going out there and completing a long-distance challenge? Maybe not 830 miles, but you know, any particularly long distance. What, what have you learned that you could share with the rest of the group, get some knowledge and experience out there for you? Um. I mean, definitely it's a you got this type mentality, which might be cliche, but uh, it's very, I'm not saying, I want to phrase this. I'm not saying what I did was easy because it definitely, there was a challenge, but I honestly think anyone can go do what I did. The route might need to be modified a bit and you have to be very careful the first five or six 
movements if you were to follow my movements. But honestly, Richard, it's just get out, go do it, prepare, of course. You know, if you never rucked before, I wouldn't recommend you go get a backpack and put a hundred pounds in it and go, but it's just, you know, go, go do it is really my, my advice. Excellent. And do you have any other, I mean, you talked about maybe going across America. I don't know. How has this impacted your other ultra running goals or adventures that you might want to want to get into down the line? Has this really piqued your interest in going further or has this really said, you know what, that was good, but I'm going to go, maybe I want to go shorter and faster or I want to try something different. Like where are you, where do you go after doing 830 miles across Texas? What the heck do you do next? Yeah, there's a few like, so I I want everyone to picture like a a triangle, you know, the top of the triangle, there's like three or four boxes. Um, And the top of the triangle is all of my 20 or 30 year goals. The middle is the 10 year goals. The third level is the five to one year goals. There's a bunch of one to five year goals that I'd like to do to eventually feel confident in doing the mid level and then eventually feel confident in doing the top level stuff. And of course, the goal of this make believe triangle is the stuff on level one is trickling down and you're always trying to come up with something harder and uh, uh, more challenging, if you will. So for me, the top tier, top two is I'd love to run across North America. I want to go from like the Alaska to Key West, Florida. But, you know, I say that there's a bunch of steps I need to do in order to achieve that. Maybe do America first, the 48 states. I would love to start getting into winter ultras. I want to go run some 50-mile and 100-mile races in snow, not cowboy winter, but like actual snow snow. And I really want to do the uh, 66-33, which is about a 400-mile race over in Canada. And then the Iditarod Trail, um, the invitational Mm -hmm. one, like the the main event, which is like the 1,000-miler. I'd love to eventually get there and be able to race. And at the same time, I want to be able to go to a desert environment and do a hundred milers there. My mentor, like I was telling at the beginning of this podcast is also an Ironman. So he does Ironmans and he's really sparked my interest and in trying to complete one of those. But I already told him, you know, I'll do an Ironman, but then I'm going to have to do an ultra triathlon. So I've been really doing a lot of research and reaching out to ultra triathletes who are doing two or three or 10 X Ironmans. And I think it would be great to do a DECA Ironman, a man over in Vermont, Mr. Andy, he's uh, done a DECA and he's uh, a cool, a cool guy and a good mentor. And I would love to do one with him. Wow. That sounds absolutely insane. I love it. And there's also, I don't know if you're interested in, in travel, but uh, there is a fantastic race, really, really brutal winter race over in the UK called the Winter Spine. If you go look up Winter Spine Race, 268 miles, but it's through the dead of winter in the UK across all the mountainous terrain right up the spine of, of England. It's, um, it's brutal. So if, you, if you're looking for something on the winter side, I take a look at that one for sure. But yeah, I, I think that's amazing. I'm, I'm sure you could go do any of these things. And really, it's just about, okay, pushing yourself and getting through the challenge. And how do I get to the challenge? And then what do I do when I'm there and learning about yourself? That's what we're doing, right? It's all 
growth and learning uh, how to overcome and how I react and kind of going from there. You know, Richard, I think like looking back, the way I got into ultras is interesting, you know, going up to Chase and saying, hey, I've never done a three-day race before, but they were there to mentor me. And I would love to go back to the sticks. I went back after DNFing a race over in Vermont and uh, I went back to volunteer at the sticks last year. And I'd love to go back this year and, you know, do the three-day again and not have to worry about homework and maybe change my socks more than once every three days and see how far I could push myself in that (laughs) sense. I, I just love the idea that you can do something once. And again, you go there and you, you get 80 miles the first time or you DNF. The the race over in Vermont was a 500 miler and I only got 200 miles. So I'd love to go back to Andy and try to knock out 350 or 400 miles on his course and go from there. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I love it. And while you're doing that, and by the way, definitely take extra pairs of socks. Job one, pack socks because you're going to need those, right? But Maybe while you're going back to the sticks, maybe you can get some of your ultra running team members to go as well. Maybe you all can show up as as the ultra running team because now you are, are you captain of the ultra running team at Texas A&M? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, like why you chose to set that up and what kind of adventures or racing that uh, you guys are going to get into. Yeah, so we are a new team, a new organization here at Texas A&M. This is our first semester on the books officially student organization uh, recognized by Texas A&M University. The, the goal of the team is to promote a safe environment of learning about the sport of ultra running and these ultra endurance events. So our goal is to, to get the team members informed and you know, we find a race to go. Sometimes we plan or we hope to plan to go as a team. We have not done a race yet together as a team. There's paperwork involved. What we have done is there's been two races. One that uh, or I've been to both. Or that's a yes. Uh, we'll get into that later. But two races that we've recommended and just put out and say, hey, if you want to go, reach out to the race director, maybe get a discount on the race if we can. Because, you know, you're bringing five or six guys. Not necessarily you're bringing, but you're you're all going in yeah. one car. Maybe we can get a 20% or 10% discount on the race. But eventually, no, I'd love to, to take the team to a race together with T-shirts and, I guess, running gear, if you wanted to call it that. But we have not gotten there yet. Okay, that's very cool, man. I love the idea. I love the concept of setting up an ultra running team at, at A&M. I, do, do you know, are there any other ultra running yeah. uh, groups, teams at other universities around that you might be able to compete with or join forces with? So to my knowledge, there is not. And I, anyone listening to this podcast, if I'm wrong, reach out to Richard and I want to talk to you and I want to, to, to run with you, right? Like this that we shouldn't be the first one. Now, there are trail teams across the nation. There are trail running clubs and trail running teams at universities. But to my knowledge, we are the first collegiate level ultra running team in the nation. And again, please prove me wrong. I want to come run with you. And like I said, you know, our, our goal is just to provide a safe environment because last year I was a freshman at Texas A&M and I went with Richard 
well, I drove up to Nebraska from Texas by myself. Had no clue what I was doing. You know, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go run a marathon in between eight stations and I'll eat a burger and keep going. And I think, you know, that is a route to learn about the sport. It's probably not the most recommended route that we do. So if I can help students here learn about um, ultras and I can put them in contact, you know, because we have guys on our team who are only interested in running 50Ks, who are only interested in running six-hour events. And then you have me, who's an old man, basically, and I want to do these long stretches where you know, I can be the back of the pack or I can be the middle of the pack and still finish. I don't have to worry about, I got to run a 10 minute split for the next 30 miles or I'm not going to make the cutoff. So, but we do have about three members on our team who are, who are doing that. I love that though. I, I, and that's part of what I think the appeal is of ultra running uh, to some degree trail running too. It just, the, the amount of different options that you've got to suit every personality. You've got the people that want to go out there and charge through a 50K, and then you've got the folks like you and I, we're kind of more towards the back, but we want to go longer. And you could run the same race two or three times. You could go out to the sticks and run it three three years in a row and have a completely different race every time. You can just go back to the same one and it's different. So I just love the uh, diversity you know, you talk about the timed races versus the distance races versus the the backyard stuff where you're competing, be last man standing. I just think the the variety of racing and the the different experience you can get every time you do it suits loads of different people. So I think everyone has a place, which is, which is something I love. Sir, I agree. So one of the things we do. Ethan, every episode is, uh, you may know, we do encourage guests to choose a song to add to the free Spotify Choose to Enjoy playlist. Something to lift you up, motivate, get you going while you're out on the trail. So, Ethan, what song did you have on rotation for those days where you were listening to music out there that uh, that got you through? What What song did you pick and why did that song resonate with you? So there was a few, you know, I was listening to like electronic type music, listening to country, but then the hip hop got me through, I think a majority of it. And I put down public enemy number one, uh, don't believe the hype. I don't know what it is. You know, my mom always used to play the, the different old 80, I say old, the, the different old school type musics around the house. We had like an old record player. I know I'm not trying to be rude, sir, but, uh, you know, for me it's old, but then again, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm going to come back in 30 years and we're going to have some young kid on this and I'm going to go, what do you mean old 2025 was just right around the corner. So, but again, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just listening to the songs are awesome. I mean, they're a good band, man. They're a good group, pretty hardcore back in the day. I can see how that would get you pumped while you're out on the, uh, out on the, road in this case great uh, great group back in the day shall we say uh i don't know that much about them you know i i, I want to make everyone clear but uh but yeah i just like their music they do rock i like it well yeah sadly that's going to do it for another episode i definitely want to thank and congratulate ethan again new fkt holder for his time and insights uh you know what i really love about ethan's story is that it's really a testament to the fact that the heart of an ultra runner beats within all of us it, regardless of your pace or position his journey is a powerful reminder that endurance isn't just about how fast you run but it's also about having the courage 
to pick a big goal, whatever that means for you, to get to and cross the starting line and find the strength to keep going and the resilience to endure no matter what challenges you are inevitably going to face along the way. So whether you are somebody who's lacing up your trail shoes for for an ultra for the very first time, or maybe you're a seasoned ultra runner and you're just trying to take on a new or different challenge, I think Ethan's experience offers us valuable insights and inspiration and really proof that the most extraordinary achievements can often come from the most ordinary of beginnings. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, get notified each time a new episode comes out, and of course, follow, share, and review. Doing any of those things really does help with the algorithm, and that in turn helps get the word out, helps others find the show so that we can share our knowledge and share the information and really build this community. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook over at choosetoendure.com and now also over on YouTube if you fancy that. So be sure to head over to any of those and check us out, say hello, drop us a message, a topic, or a feedback if you have a moment. We definitely love getting those interactions and go look up Ethan and go look at all his social stuff because there's some wonderful videos out there that he is posting of, of his experiences. So until next time, run long, although maybe not 830 miles long, run strong and whatever life throws at you, keep choosing to endure. Thanks for running with us at the Choose to Endure podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. We had a blast. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. Keep racking up the miles and the stories, and we'll catch you at the next trailhead. Until then, remember to run long, run strong.